This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, this past week, there have been some pretty big decision makers when it comes to the future of education. They've been in the city. There was a conference that was hosted by the uh, OECD. So when we saw that, well, we thought that's interesting. Let's find out a little bit more about that because there's a lot of talk about innovation, technological and otherwise getting into the classroom and how that's affecting the next generation of children. So we wanted to know what does the future of education look like? We had a chance to speak with Thomas Arnett, who's a senior research fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute in California. He has written all about the future of education and here's what he told us. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us to talk about the future of education today. There was a recent conference going on in our city about this, actually, and it made us kind of curious to talk about the future of, in your case, teaching. Is there always something new being developed on that front? Well, it seems like there is always something new. I wouldn't say that all of it's necessarily beneficial, but for our work, the future of education um, is really core. Um, At the Institute, we study a phenomenon that's called disruptive innovation, and it's really a pattern for making life-changing innovations more accessible to broader populations. And we see some really interesting disruptive innovations emerging that will help teachers and help students be prepared for the future. Are there negatives to that disruptive innovation as well? Um, Yeah, I think like in the case of all technologies, there's, there's upsides and there's downsides. It largely depends on what you use the technology for and what applications you put it in. Um, but I'd say the main innovation that we see happening is that, um, you know, the education system we have now um, really doesn't allow for individualized learning. Um, individualized learning is mainly something that's been available to the wealthy and elite segments of society, people who could, you know, afford to hire individual tutors for their, for their children. Yeah. And then most of the rest of us um, get an educational experience that um, is still valuable and rewarding, but in many ways it's kind of standardized. We, we put students in classes together and then we give them, um, you know, whole group lessons following standardized curriculum through a sequence of credits um, that leaves, you know, some achieving uh, at higher levels than others and some really struggling. Um, so, but what we see that's really interesting is that online learning is an innovation that as it's getting deployed in schools and as schools are figuring out how to use it effectively, um, really unlocks individualized learning for students. Um, both by, you know, one is that uh, when students learn with online learning resources, they can have experiences that are more tailored to their individual needs or, or they can think, pursue things that are more mm. aligned with their interests. But in addition to that, online learning really um, unlocks teacher capacity because when teachers, um, when students learn some things online, it means that teachers have more time and um, capacity to also individualize their experiences and their interactions with their students. Right, but it's a, it's a balance though, isn't it, Thomas? Because you also have to make sure that kids are still interacting with each other and learning how to work together. And if they're always in front of a screen, how are they going to do that? Yeah, well, I think that's a really good point is that we see some implementations of this that are really promising and others that are, you know, somewhat disturbing. And I want to be clear, like, the the future of learning that we see is not one where students are just sitting in front of screens with headphones in cubicles um, doing all their learning online. Um, What we really see that works effectively is when there's kind of a a balanced approach where 
online learning is used where it's effective. Um, um, it's used when, you know, a student needs to get a lesson that is different than what their friend next to them or their peer across the room needs. Um, and where they can get feedback, immediate feedback on their mastery of basic concepts and skills um, that would be hard for a teacher to give, um, at, you know, at scale. Right. But then, you know, the, the quality experiences, that's just part of the experience. But really the, the defining feature when you walk into classrooms that are doing this well is actually the way that online learning creates more space for students and their teachers to engage in really personal ways and work together on projects or engage in debates and discussions. Um, and it's online learning's ability to unlock the capacity for those other types of activities that really make it promising. Right. So it sounds so very much like what we're talking about here is individualized learning, that recognition that we've been moving towards in the last 10, 20 years that every, you know, every child kind of learns in their own way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think that's we've known that intuitively for a long time, and we're finally catching up to a place where um, both our, our understanding of what it can look like and the technologies to enable it are, are unlocking some really interesting opportunities. Right. But it, it, does this make it difficult to make the system equitable then, Thomas, right? Because some school districts, some areas might be better at providing these kinds of resources to kids than others. Yeah, I think, again, it's equity is it can kind of cut both ways. On one hand, you know, districts that have more access to you know, to provide their students with online learning or, you know, that can afford to provide that kind of experience, um, create inequities. But at the same time, online learning can also be um, a way to level the playing field in that, um, you know, in particular, we've looked at like at rural school districts that, you know, maybe they can't, they just don't have the ability to hire um, um, advanced course teachers or teachers in specialized subjects. And online learning can create opportunities for students in those settings to get access to learning opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be available in their schools. What does that um, mean for yeah, what does that mean so, for teachers though and how we teach teachers to become to go into that profession? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for teachers it's it's it can be tricky because on one hand I I think we often see teachers asking the question of like, is this going to replace me? Is this going to make me irrelevant? And I would say that kind of going back to one of my earlier comments, you know, technology can be used in both good and in bad ways. Um, and it's kind of how we use it that determines the outcomes that we get. And so if a school takes the focus of, hey, we can just, you know, outsource a lot of this stuff to online learning, we don't need teachers and just push teachers to the margin. Um, you know, one, that's, that, that's, you know, harmful to teachers, but it's also, you know, I would argue not the type of educational experience that students really need and, and really value. Um, but when it's done well, online learning uh, um, leads to teachers then having more capacity to, to individualize for the needs of their students, but it is a shift. And so that's actually, I'd say, one of the challenges that the field is wrestling with right now is figuring out how do we, how do we adapt our instructional approaches and help teachers to adapt the way they teach in their classroom in ways that leverage the advantages of this, of this technology and leverage um, the power of the things that teachers really do best that technology can't do. Right. So it's it's trying to find that balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge challenge, though, Thomas, for school districts all over North America, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's definitely not a challenge that you're going to solve just by you know adopting a resource and then putting people through training. Like, 
Um, the school systems we see doing it well, it's a very um, thoughtful and deliberate process, a process that involves really engaging all the stakeholders in the school system, from students to parents to teachers to other staff. Um, and it's, you know, and it takes iteration. It takes figuring out where do we want to head, um, how do we want to get there, and then learning along the way as they, as they try new things. So, I, yeah, I think it's, it is challenging. We see schools doing it well, but it's definitely, if you come into it thinking like, oh, we'll just buy a bunch of devices and then pay for some software and everything's going to be changed overnight, it doesn't work that way. So would you say, like, well, how long is this shift going to take? Is this something that you think parents and students are going to be dealing with for the next 10, 20 years? Um, hopefully it's not a 20-year type thing, but it's definitely, I would say, you know, for a school for a school district or a school system to shift is probably more on the order of a, you know, uh, a five-year change with, you know, real, um, I'd say, you know, really coming into their groove um, on more of like a 10-year horizon. So interesting. Listen, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That is Thomas Arnett. He's a senior research fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute in California.